Hello, everybody. This is Ben Hopkin again, and welcome back to Acting Without the Drama, where we keep the drama on the stage and in front of the camera and out of our personal lives. So, last time we had talked about movement. We had gone into some Laban movement and the eight efforts that he described. And today we're going to continue that conversation about movement. We're going to talk a little bit about animal imagery, and we're also going to talk about physical tasks. And there's a couple of different aspects about physical tasks that we're going to address. So, again, remembering that getting into our bodies is a really important thing for us to accomplish as actors. A couple of other exercises that I've found useful in terms of physicalizing performances are these ideas of using animal imagery and also the idea of using a physical task. So, what is animal imagery? What does this mean? How do we do it? How is it useful to us? And what are some examples of people that have maybe used this kind of tool in their performances? Animal imagery, when we're talking about using it as actors, is really trying to find an animal that embodies the character that you're going to play. And this doesn't always have to be a logical choice, just in the same way that when I've talked about using verbs, choosing tactics, that sometimes choosing something that seems opposite of what you would normally use is actually a good idea. In the same way, sometimes picking an atypical animal might be kind of a fascinating choice for a character. So as we are going through this, just keep that in mind, that you want to keep yourself open to maybe using choices that don't seem all that logical to start off with. So as we start to look at a script, as we start to look at a character, as you're reading this through and as you're starting to walk it out. Again, I've talked about that idea of walking with the script, turning directions every time you get to a beat. As you start doing this, and as you start getting the performance into your body, start feeling it, start looking at what kind of animal might typify this person, this character. What are some qualities about this character that seem similar to an animal that you know and love, or that you've watched on television and been fascinated by? As you start to do this, the first image that comes to mind, the first animal that comes to mind, what I want you to try to do is to go completely into that animal. Again, you want to be in a place where you have some space, and preferably one where you're not going to be too embarrassed, because this is kind of an out-there exercise. This is something that's going to require you stepping outside of your comfort zone. Really embody that animal. Go 100% with it. This is really the key to the exercise for me, is really investing, really committing 100% to this image. If you're going to be a dog, be a dog. Start off from a purely dog standpoint. I've actually watched my children as they, they all, pretty much every single one of them has gone through a stage where they experiment with being different animals. One of my sons decided at one point that he was going to be an ant. And he committed 100% to it. Now, the way that he did it, he would get up, he would climb up on us, and he would start to pinch us and go, ants, 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 ants. Now, that actually, to me, has very little to do with actually being an ant. He didn't look like an ant, but he did embody that ant, even in the way that he was using his voice. Ants, ants, ants. And he was pinching, and he sort of used his fingers as, as little pinchers. It was, it was fascinating to watch. We also had uh, my oldest son went through a stage where he was a dog. And he completely embodied that dog, panting and sticking his tongue out and being down on all fours. 
and really using every single part of his body to encapsulate that image of being a dog. And that's kind of the level of commitment that I'm talking about, going to that nth degree. Again, just committing. So once you go there, you go to that full place where you're really embodying the animal, including your voice, really letting your voice capture the essence of that animal as well. Once you get to that place, then from there, you start doing whatever the piece is. You start going through the lines of the monologue, or going through the lines of the play, or going through the lines of the film script, and really letting that animal inform all of your choices as a character. So again, going 100%, not holding back at all. And as you go through it, I guarantee you there are going to be moments that really start to work. There are going to be these sort of light bulb moments where all of a sudden something becomes very crystal clear about that character. And that gives you the knowledge that you're going in the right direction. So, once you have gone there and have really just sort of embodied this character as you're going through the lines, embodied this animal in the character, at that point then, you can back it off a little bit. Keeping elements of that animal within the performance, but humanizing it a little bit more. And with each step sort of coming closer back to who we are as people, but keeping that essence of the animal there. Now this is a tool that's used quite a lot. It's used by method actors quite a bit. And you can actually see vestiges of it in certain performances. And I'm going to throw a couple of them out there for you, ones that I've noticed. Watching Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. Now this is a performance that I've mentioned before in a previous podcast. But that to me, she had to have been channeling some sort of jungle cat. To me it was very feline, very fluid, uh, but not a house cat. It was a powerful, larger cat to me. And it seems very clear to me that she was using some sort of animal imagery there. Another performance that I know for a fact was actually using animal imagery was Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate. He was actually channeling or using animal imagery in the form of a snake. And if you go back and watch that performance, you'll actually see him from time to time flick his tongue out. And he does very much embody the essence of something very reptilian. It's, it's kind of creepy when you start watching it that way. So that is the way that we can use this animal imagery in our performances. And this is something that, again, takes us out of our normal comfort zone, takes us out of the normal way that we move through space, gives us a different way to approach a character, to approach a role. Another exercise that I've also used, and this one is kind of strange. It's going to sound really weird probably when I first describe it to you, but it's another one that can really get your performances out of your head and into your body. And that is, uh, this works particularly well for monologues. What you want to do is pick a physical activity. And again, it doesn't have to be a physical activity that is even remotely related to the scene that you're doing or to the monologue that you're doing. You just want to pick a physical activity that you're doing and go through that physical activity, again, committing 110%, really embodying that physical activity. Just to give you a couple of examples, you could be scrambling eggs. So go through every single motion there of opening up the fridge, of pulling the egg carton out, of opening up the egg carton, of pulling out the eggs, getting a bowl, cracking the eggs into the bowl, stirring the eggs inside of the bowl, and then pouring the eggs into 
the frying pan and cooking those eggs up. Now, you completely go 100% into that physical activity, really doing every single step and saying your lines, going through your monologue or going through your scene as you are going through this physical activity and finding the places where the gestures start to match what's happening in the words of the script. And again, you'll find that pretty much every time you do this exercise, you're going to find at least one or two moments that really work well. And then the next place that you can go with this is that you either maximize or minimize the movements of that activity so that it, it's no longer recognizable as that activity, so that you're not miming uh, scrambling eggs, but that you're using the gestures, that when you're stirring the eggs, that becomes kind of a stirring gesture in that moment. When you are cracking the eggs, that that becomes just a moment where you're moving your hand in that, in that kind of a gesture. And again, that just kind of takes us outside of the way that we normally gesture on a daily basis, so that it's changing up the way that we move through space. And like I said, you can maximize or minimize those gestures. They can be big, they can be small. You just want to take them away from sort of a miming thing. That's not where you ultimately want to go. You just want to find a different way of gesturing. Another way that you can use physical tasks or physical activities is actually to pick something that you can do in the scene just to ground you physically. Finding some sort of activity that gets your mind off of thinking about the character and thinking about the script, but getting it into a physicality. Uh, a good example of this is I was doing a scene from Fool for Love, and the instructor asked me to find a physical activity like polishing my boots or rubbing my hands with rosin or working with a leather strap, something that would be a repetitive action, something that could get me busy, something that could get my hands busy, something that would get me, again, out of my head and into my body because that scene really requires that you physicalize. It's a very physical role, and it really needs that. So those are the two different ways that we can incorporate physical activities into our performances, this idea of animal imagery, uh, is one that really helps us. The physical activities, either finding a physical activity that fits within the scene or using the gestures from an activity to sort of inform the way that we're going to gesture throughout the scene. These are both things that I've found to be useful in the past in terms of finding ways to ground my performance. I can't overstress how important this idea is. I've said it again and again, and I may have started to feel a little repetitive to you guys, but this was something that for me was a real challenge. I started off as a terribly intellectual actor. Everything was logical, everything was thought out, everything was planned, and I lost all of the life in my performances. And I was very technically skilled, I had some real technical gifts, but ultimately the performances ended up leaving people kind of cold. And this was a way that I found to really use my body, to really get in touch with my body. And it wasn't a comfortable process, but it was a beautiful process. I'm so glad that I had teachers that demanded this of me, that I had teachers that cared enough about me as a performer to push me to go there. And so I would encourage you to really experiment with these ideas. 
getting in touch with your body, using your body as an integral part of any character that you play. So, the next time that we get together, we're going to be talking about voice. This is another kind of under-emphasized or underutilized aspect of an actor's toolbox. The idea that we have this beautiful instrument that we need to train, that we need to open up, in order to truly become expressive actors. So next time we're going to be talking about voice. Again, thank you for joining in with me, and I will hear from you guys again next week. Go out and act. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Acting Without the Drama. For more information, and to follow my blog on acting, please go to www.actingwithoutthedrama.com. To contact me with questions or ideas, please email me at actingwithoutthedrama at gmail.com.